Welcome to the Pergo Podcast. This is Jerry Pitney, and today I am joined by Ivy Heron Jr. Ivy, thanks so much for coming on. And Jared, thank you for having me. It's such a blessing and an honor to uh, to be here. Well, thanks, man. So you now work for the company that was it your dad or your grandpa started? It was my grandpa Ossley, and he started the company in 1968. And a little backstory on that. Before he started, he was kind of in the trucking business. He'd deliver tires. He'd do stuff like that. So he always knew mm-hmm. that that was probably an avenue that he wanted to kind of venture into. So pretty much it's one of those stories that's it's kind of like a dollar and a dream story. He had what he started off with in 1968. He just started with used tires. Just a single shop with a concrete slab. Wow. Yeah. Used tires. Used tires. Six dollars a pop back then. Six dollars. I mean, yeah, we're not too far from that now, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So your grandpa starts that in the sixties. Your dad moved right into it when? Well, I'll tell you this. Um, when he started in sixty eight, he had a gentleman that's still with us. He's retired now, but he'll still come up and check on, you know, the operations once or twice a week. His name was Jack Pillow. His name is Jack Pillow, and he still comes up there, checks on us once or twice a week. He started with Ossily part-time in 72, I believe. So he worked there longer than my dad actually has worked, had worked there at the time. And so he's been with us for 48 years. 48 years. That's a long time to be anywhere. Absolutely. And we're, we're thankful for him, man. He just, he's, he's such a light. He, he shows us, you know, even though it's a, you know, the older generation, the newer generation, how it's mixing, you're learning how to evolve and do all these things. He teaches us, he teaches us the, the old ways of, you know, how the tire company was run because he was telling me two days ago when I was kind of diving deeper into this, Jared, he said, back in the day, you'd fix a flat for a dollar a piece, a dollar and 25 to mount, a dollar 50 wow. to balance. And they didn't even come out into computer ba- uh, computer balancing until about 1978. So it was a whole different ballpark then. Wow. Uh, yeah, I'd say so. You guys have been around a long time, man. Been kind of a staple in the community and you, I know you win awards and you get voted like whatever favorite, I don't know, automotive place yeah, or, you yeah. know, they, they make a shop and so in, in, in this region. And so you guys are fantastic. And I think a lot of people who listen to this are automatically going to know that name Heron yeah. just because you have been around for so long. I'm curious. And one of the reasons we wanted to reach out to you and have you come on is to share a little bit about your story and you know, you've had uh, your own struggle and your own fight with addiction, which a lot of people listening to this either have or they know someone who has. And so anytime we get to bring someone on it to share their story, I think it's always an encouragement to other people um, to hear kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly and, and know like there is some sort of a way out. And obviously I know that we have a mutual friend and, and the late Steve Garmouth who came yes. on and, um, you know, so many people have been impacted by his story and, uh, really, man, like I've got a chance to, to hear a little bit of your kind of testimony of kind of like where you've been and kind of where you are now, but, uh, not a lot. And so I, I'm just curious, um, pick me up with kind of, where you were like kind of at what point in your life did you begin to transition into this life of addiction was that like in your early teenage years was that after school like jared you know when i i I grew up you know in a christian home had all the christian values god-fearing mom and dad that taught me the right things um and i was i was great so i went to uh, crowley's ridge academy for 10 years of my life and you notice, um, I actually had switched to Green County Tech um, 
school in my 10th grade year. And, and the initial initial switch in that was I was going with a friend. He was my only friend at the time. Uh, I had a couple friends from CRA as well, but he was my, my best friend. Mm. His name was Hunter Collins. And I remember I was going over there, switched kind of just to hang out with him pretty much. Well, in the, um, in 2006 on May 26, Hunter was in a bad car accident and he went to go be with the Lord. And that mm. was, that was my first. And when you look in addiction and stuff, there's always tragedy. There's always, there's a root in addiction you don't just look you know you see people that go around and you know they're labeled he's a drunk well there's a reason yeah. being so there's 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 an inner root of it whether it be bitterness anger resentment tragedy yes. um all of these things factor into it so that before drugs and alcohol that was the first tragedy besides my grandmother passing in 2003 that was the first real tragedy that i'd experienced uh, mm. with losing him, you know, he was, he, he accepted me for who I was at that time. I was probably about 110 pounds, long bleach blonde hair, didn't really mm. know the world and what it was mm -hmm. about. So I, I made a promise to myself after he had passed that I was going to go ahead and carry on, you know, the tradition, whether it be his or whoever, and, and go ahead and make that switch. Cause I've already determined that I was going to go to Greene County Tech mm -hmm. and, in that switch, I realized, and Green County Tech is an amazing school, amazing, you know, I just listened to your podcast with Scott Garrish. I love Scott. Mm -hmm. He had a, he had an impact on my life tremendously. And I remember in that switch, I was really confused, Jared, mm -hmm. going from completely sheltered um, to, oh, this is, this mm -hmm. is, this is real life. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, so when mm -hmm. I came, you know, I, I, I guess I was different, um, you know, not knowing the things that what people would consider weaknesses in nowadays times, which is absolutely twisted to, according to what God's will has. And, it, and it's crazy when you look at it. And so I, got, I came there in my 10th grade year and I graduated in 09. And when coming there, I noticed a few things. I noticed that I wasn't big enough. I wasn't strong enough. Yeah. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't dressed appropriately. My yep. hair wasn't right. Everything was wrong. Yep. And that's, that's kind of how the world sometimes portrays things is if you're not doing it this way, it's wrong. Yeah. And well, it's all about appearance, right? It's all about that. The, you know, it's the, um, it's the iceberg analogy or I guess metaphor of like, you know, you see the 10% and the 10% is what we often are like, that's the most important because that's what everybody sees. But then there's just like so much more to a person than that. And really it's the stuff under the surface that's most important. Right. But we're all about that 10% or whatever up yeah. at the top. It's kind of like what we were talking about earlier before we started this, you know, you get a fake idea on social media, you know, you throw, you scroll through Facebook and everything looks great, but at the same time, there's people struggling here too. Yeah. And in that, you know, I found different, you know, different coping mechanisms of why people said the things they did about me just coming to tech and that's just, and, and coming to a different school. And that was just, um, it was very different for me. And at this time, you know, I didn't even really know what drugs or alcohol was, Yeah. but I knew that something had to change. I, I knew that I had to make an appearance to be different from a worldly standards, if that makes any Did sense. Did the drugs and alcohol, was it more of a way to fit in? In the beginning, or well, well, you know, I didn't take my first drink of alcohol till I was seventeen years old. Now, I did dive deep into anabolic steroids at the age of seventeen as well. So I remember my tenth grade year coming in, and then something clicked. Eleventh grade year, I came back, and they're like, "Who's the new guy?" Hmm. Like that—that's Ivy. Well, he's gained about oh forty pounds. Yeah, and that so. feels good, right? As opposed to getting like. 
hey, you know, squirt or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. And at the time, you know, I didn't think anything of it. I just thought, well, this is this is normal. This is how I'm going to keep my appearance up so nobody messes with me, bullies me, whatever. I'm going to make sure that I'm not that guy anymore. And from a worldly image, I succeeded. And that's so twisted in what what we consider you know, what, what God's will is compared to a worldly standard. So in a worldly standard, I was doing great. Mm -hmm. Ain't nobody messing with me anymore. I was doing all these things, making my appearance big, lifting the most weights. Were you feeling good like emotionally and mentally at that point? Or was one of those things where you looked good on the outside, but still there was a struggle on the inside? Well, I got to say at that time in my life, before everything else hit, at that time, I didn't see it as a problem. I didn't see anything. I thought it was just normal. It was kind of cruising along. Yeah. 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 And I started making these changes to where, you know, I wasn't going to be that guy anymore and and I succeeded unfortunately and as I go on you know that evolves in anything um people act like you know there's there's some there's some times where you know there's some people that can do it they can have a glass of wine I'm not one of those guys um that they can but it evolved for me it evolved to the small little things like partying and going going out on the weekends and drinking on the weekends and going back to school it was normal normal and so what I was doing until my college years is I was just drinking on the weekends, mm-hmm. um, anabolic steroid use, stuff like that, that I thought was normal. I thought it was completely normal. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't really have conviction on my heart then at the time during this. And so, you know, it didn't really, it didn't really settle until a later year until things gradually got worse. Yeah, yeah. So you're having to start living a double life then in high school, right? Yeah. At that point, I'm sure a lot of parents don't know about the steroids. They don't know about the drinking yeah. and all that, right? So you're trying to maintain one image there, another somewhere else. And so one thing I was, we were talking with, uh, we had um, uh, Brooke Smith on here and her dad, Roland, um, just not, I guess it was a few episodes back, but he was talking about how addiction and lying go hand in hand because you have to kind of live a lie, 100%. right? You have to begin to learn to lie to cover your tracks, which Absolutely. creates more lies, more deceit, more all of that. So so you start uh, kind of living the double life. You're trying to, you know, do what it takes to fit in. You're partying. You're taking the steroids, getting bigger. Eventually you graduate high school. When did kind of the crap hit the fan? Well, as soon as I went to college, um, I noticed myself starting um, on a path. And still, for some reason, in my head, it was still normal. It's okay. Everybody gets in trouble once or twice. Everybody does this. So yep. Nobody's perfect. I went to college, joined a fraternity. You know, um, and it's not the fraternity's fault by any means. It was what I was doing. I was the mm. problem. I just didn't want to look in the mirror. And it was kind of like when we were talking about the the steroids and the stuff like that, that really, you know, I was covering up a weak mind with a physical appearance. Mm. What and, do you mean by that? Well, I, the bigger I got, the more I felt strong, looked strong, maybe that nobody would notice how weak-minded I really was to people's opinions of me. Uh, to the way yeah. the way that the world viewed me and that's what it comes down to you know you you look at people pleasing and you start you start doing these things and i i can say that there's a lot of people out there that struggle with people pleasing 100 percent. and we'd be lying to ourselves to say that some days we don't oh, and for sure and once we actually find the healing in that that we're not called to please man or, or prove ourselves um, to ourselves or, or to man that we're just here to live 
a better life, that's when healing can begin. So I began to cover up that weak-minded with, you know, because I was an emotional wreck. Yes, on the outside you look like, man, I'm tough, nobody could hurt me, but on the inside it's like you were a hurt person. I mean, like, yeah, like you you didn't want to fail anybody, you didn't want to let anybody down, like their opinions of you mattered tremendously, and I'm guessing if you didn't live up to whatever standard someone else had of you, it was like crushing it, it it was it was devastating because at the time too, and I just got over this a couple of years too, Jared. You know, um, the thought and the thought of people pleasing and the thought of not living up to a certain name. For example, my my father's name um, mm-hmm. that can be detrimental. And Steve Garmouth gave me the most sound advice give anybody so my wife got me an encouragement jar and she had different people uh write in it and so for days that you're down which everybody gets oh for sure pull out a little bit of encouragement well i pulled out the other day steve garmus and it really really spoke to me he said don't live a life in someone else's shadows Mm. create your own Mm. and it hit um you know, I was trying not necessarily to be just like my dad, but to be like my dad, sure. if that makes any sense. Well, he has a good reputation in town, right? hundred yeah. percent. And and he he was loving, he was compassionate, he cared about his people. And I got to a point, I guess, where I cared too much, if that makes sense. I, I cared what everybody thought of me. So that was that was the, the start how did you of become how did you become aware of that, that that's what you were doing because I do think that there is a we all long for the approval of a father and we all want to like make our parents proud and and even if you don't realize that like at what point did you realize I'm I'm trying to live up to I'm trying to be my dad and uh, Jared to be honest with you I haven't with that question right there to be completely honest it's one of those things that I just figured out Mm. I just figured out probably about six months ago to realize when Steve Garmouth wrote me that note before he before he passed away, I said, I'm doing all these things for the approval of man, for the approval of everybody, not just for myself, but I'm not even doing this these things for God. I'm I'm doing these things because I wanted the the satisfaction of, you know, that that comeback or this or that and and to have that good reputable name that my dad did but I got to realize too I had to realize a few things that we all have stories Mm -hmm. and our stories can either help heal or hurt and I I find that there's a lot of strength in being vulnerable Mm -hmm. um, being able to share these kind of things man because you know for so long I try to live a double standard life like you said and it was it was detrimental for a long time but I, I, I praise God today that that's not who I am anymore. So yeah, yeah. so you're in college. You you join the fraternity. Um, just how bad did things get? I know that you you struggle with addiction for sure. But what did that look like for you? So it's a little bit different for everyone. Like, tell me, catch me up with your story from there. Well, I, I'll tell you this: um, waking up to a phone call at six o'clock in the morning from your mother screaming her lungs out, saying, "What are you doing on the news?" That's what it looked like. But to me, it was almost still normal because it was just drinking, a public intox, all this. But it had carried all the way from over here. So that that right there should have been my first call. But I said Public intox, you said? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so from that, it just kept evolving. I was like, well, what am I going to do now? You know, so I guess I'm just going to keep doing the same thing because that's all I know. And At that point, was it... Um, was it able to help you cope with the pain or the shame 
was that kind of like, cause obviously it's a shameful thing to be publicly humiliated like that. And then you all, you had shame even back in your high school days of like, Hey, I don't, you're too small or you're too, whatever you care what people think of you. Like did alcohol or whatever else you're using, did it become a form of just like, like you said, coping with that pain? Absolutely. So, you know, I didn't really dive deep into harder drugs such as cocaine or meth until after 2014. That's when that really starts spiral, but it's those little things that get us. Um, it's the little compromises. So when you come out of recovery or you come out of rehabilitation and and you found all these things, you realize that it's the little things that will make the difference in your life, you mm-hmm. know, that it's either going to go this way or that way. So Can you look back at that and see some of the little things that led you into the harder stuff? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Um, you know, being on the media for, for bad things while my, you know, like, like while my dad was being on there for, for good, positive things, I remember shame I remember guilt I remember depression like it was like it was yesterday Jared and I remember diving deep into that and I thought how in the world am I going to beat this well I looked at my dad as a savior on this so I I, but at the same time I didn't want to do anything to fix the problem I just wanted to continue to not think about it so that's where other things were introduced as soon as I got on the news or did these things and, and it was made public there was shame, but I wouldn't ever let anybody see it. I'd cover it up with alcohol, and then it turned into pills probably around uh, 2011 and then into harder things as I began to dive deeper. Uh, I just read um, Matthew Perry's memoir about his addiction, uh, his story in there. And he quoted, I think it's from AA, but it says that an addict hates two things, the way things are and change. Right. Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, change is scary almost for, for people that that's all they know, you know? And at the time I didn't want to consider myself an addict or all these things, but there was a bitter, there was, there was a root to these things. And mine was anger, resentment, uh, bitterness. All these things were, um, complicating my life to where I couldn't get rid of, rid of that root. So these other roots, it started, uplifting in my life it started Mm. taking a better hold of me just because you know the drugs and the alcohol is the easy thing to quit it's getting rid of the anger yeah 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 yeah. that's that's the tough well the drugs and the alcohol are a symptom right like it's it's not the root right what you're talking about is i mean it's easy to kind of go mow the yard but then it's going to keep coming that graph that weed's going to keep popping back up unless you get to the root and it's like it doesn't matter how much behavior modification you do and you know, that's part of like, I, I even wonder with some of our rehabs and, and different things, it's, you know, like, how do we get to the root of these issues? And sometimes it's not easy. No. Sometimes it takes a long time to figure out like, what is even the root? And right. and then like, how do you pull it up? I'm, where was the turning point for you? Like, when did you know, man, I'm, I'm in deep and I've got to get some help? Man. I had quite a few of those different moments, but I chose to ignore them. You know, 2014 was a big um, traumatic event in my life that really, that really, that's when the methamphetamine, the cocaine, all of that became into play because I thought that the only the people that understood that pain of whether it be tragedy or hurt or resentment, you know, all the, all the, all the, all those people, I thought they were the only ones that understand would understand me and when I started using and doing that uh, you know it was it was over with it, it continued to uproot and and things became worse but they have to in order to get better first so I just kept 
going and going. And then finally, it was, you know, I did really well for three years. I did really well um, from a worldly standard, still had prescriptions and stuff. And I'm not against medicine by any means mm-hmm. for some people. Um, I just know I can't. Yeah. Um, but I know, I know after that three years of doing what you would consider okay. You're really functioning. Functioning, uh, covering it up well, um, not using hard drugs, just prescription medications, stuff like that, that on the night or, or the day that my dad was diagnosed with cancer, mm. it was all over again. And I remember to the day. On the day. I mean, it was three weeks to the day that he was diagnosed with cancer that I full-blown relapsed. Wow. Yeah. When your dad got his diagnosis, was it pretty, uh, was it pretty dark? Like, were they pretty much saying at that point, like, he's not going to make it? Or did, at that point, y'all not know? Yeah. Um, no, as soon, he went in for gallbladder surgery. And as soon as they got out, they said, okay, everything was removed, but we got to tell you some news. Um, he said he's got stage four liver esophagus Jeez. and lung cancer. That was the first time y'all even had a hint that he could have cancer? Had no idea. Good grief. No idea, Jared. So I remember in that room sitting there thinking to myself, this can't, this can't be right. Two to three months to live is what they gave them. <sighs> Two to three months. Jeez. And you think. And you're how old at that point? when you? I, I am. When that uh, happened, how old were you? 28 years old. 28, okay. 28. So immediately, everything that was deep-rooted came back in my life. And it wasn't just the addiction. It was the anger, the resentment, the bitterness, all, all these things that I'm about to lose my best friend. I wouldn't accept it. I wouldn't accept it. I thought that. With, with Ivy Senior's mentality, he was going to fight whatever. He was going to sure. beat it. Strong man. A strong man, strong mind. Um, everything in him spoke the definition of not just compassion and love, but strong-willed. Yeah. Yeah. And Fighter. I, I, 100%. And I knew my dad could beat this, even if the doctor said no. And it's pretty powerful to look back at that, Jared, and see um, that even though... I, I go back and I look at some of the uh, the record books at the tire shop and I see notes that he had left that he knew that he had a limited time on this earth, but he wouldn't ever let me show that. He wouldn't ever tell me about that. What do you mean, like the notes? Like he was he journaling or is he just like leaving? Well, leaving notes for um, whoever was going to, uh, I guess, be taking his place. Okay. And that was, you know, I just found these not too long ago. Really? And, Jeez. And that was a revelation itself, too, to see. But he uh, knew. He, he knew, but the point of him knowing was that he wanted to show his son one more time what it means to fight. But fight correctly. Fight the fight. It doesn't matter what you're labeled, the things you went through in your past, son. This is how you fight. You keep going. Even when people say this about you or you're labeled this, you can keep fighting. You never give up. And that encouraged some strength in my life to know that even though he wasn't going to tell me and he knew his time was limited, that developed something in me that I am so grateful for, that you keep fighting through the mistakes, through the failures. You don't have to be your past anymore. You don't have to be what the fail, the failures of your life and the things can actually be a stepping stone to your future if you allow it. That is what my dad showed me through mm. his sickness, mm. and that's powerful. Oh, dude, it's crazy how... You know, I'm guessing if you could do it all over again, like you would never be like, I'm really glad that my dad got terminal cancer. Like you, you wouldn't want that, but it's crazy how a lot of times suffering 
and pain and tragedy really can teach us some like invaluable lessons uh, yes. that 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 we have to learn in order for us to thrive and become the men, the women that we want to be. And that sounds like what I hear you saying happened with your dad's cancer and then ultimately his death. I'm curious, uh, you know, at the time you, that's not a lesson that you learned then, right? In the Man. moment you're, you're used to the anger's back, the bitterness Man. is back, the hurt is back. Times tenfold. Times tenfold. So that's, there's a lot there, right? Because you were already kind of like battling a lot of that stuff. So now here you are. Was it just at like three weeks, three weeks later, like, you know, just kind of like a screw it mentality? I'm over it. Forget it. I'm over it. 100%. And didn't care anymore at that point. Didn't care. Um, I thought that my dad was str- so strong that he could do this regardless. Regardless of what I was doing, regardless of how I was going off. It didn't matter. I knew my dad as a strong, hardworking man that cared and loved everybody that not just came in through those shop doors, but that anybody he had interaction with, people saw something different in him, and that was that was the compassion and love. I knew that he could beat it at the time. That's what my mind was telling me, mm-hmm. even though all odds said no. I knew he could, so I was like, man, this is this, this is it. You know? So you could tell pretty quickly. like, Well, I remember sitting at, at a church service, and I remember seeing them the night before. I spent the night over over at their house, at my mom and dad's house. And I remember the next day at church, I saw a drastic transformation in his appearance through the chemo and everything mm. that he was fighting. He was fighting. And, you know, we went down to MD Anderson. We got um, He got treatments. And, you know, they gave him two months, but he fought for 12. Now that's a definition of wow. a fighter, wow. regardless of what – the diagnosis is he came out and said, I'm going to fight this. I don't care what it takes. I'm going to do this. And that was such later on down the road, not at the time, but you know, me looking in perspective now, that was such a powerful thing that he was doing that. And it's almost, it's almost like Jesus's love for us, you know, um, that he would give his one and only son. Well, he was, my dad was trying to save his one and only, only son from a, from a worldly standpoint. Sure. And, it was powerful, but I remember sitting there at the rock, and I knew it. I, I knew it had gotten worse. He was having trouble walking. He he was, um, you know, his, he was just different. He was losing weight. He was a two hundred seventy pound man that had dropped down to, you know, one hundred ninety two pounds by the end of it. And mm. but he had lost such a drastic amount of weight. It was just like overnight. I knew, and he went down to the altar to pray. I remember crying out with him. Like this, this is my best friend, God. This is, this is, this this man means everything to me. Please, please save him. But when I when I prayed that prayer, I didn't think that he was going to save him like he did today. And there's actually there's actually beauty in the pain when you look at it. When you realize that your pain's for a purpose, it becomes so much more powerful. And when you start using that purpose to you know, just like his story that he was fighting one more time just for me to know that I could get out of that pit because he knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. And there's so much there's so much power in that. You yeah. don't have to be in that. You can use every negative thing and every traumatic event in your life for something good. You just have to, you know, the difference, I, I read this the other day, the difference between eyesight and mindsight. Eyesight is what you're seeing and then mindsight's what you're interpreting. Now looking back at it, my mindset might have been a little bit different now, but the way it's changed now, I interpret that so much different that he was doing that fight for mm. for me. So, do you have any um, 
any advice that you would give to someone who is maybe watching a loved one die or or it's going to happen right i mean like we're none of us are going to get out of here right. alive right like we're going to like, what is it obviously you you've watched a, your best friend and, and father died in front of your eyes like i know that you weren't exactly all fully sober then but like looking back at it is there any encouragement or advice you would give to somebody else because most of us it's just not the normal part of our lives right and so death is a scary thing especially when you see someone really strong like that 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 death is kind of taken away from you have you thought about that at all like looking back like anything that whether something you wish you had done different or something like you would just even want to encourage somebody else with like hey whenever this situation not if when it actually comes to your family or your friendship like cherish the time uh make the time cherish the time look at the good not the bad i know all these things are coming at you at once but you got to realize there's there's going to be, it's hard to believe at the time, but we all do have a day. And until that day, just cherish the time you have with them. There's good memories, there's bad. Hold on to the good. They'll, they'll, they'll keep you sustained that much longer throughout. Um, you know, death is inevitable. We're, none of us are getting, like you said, we're, none of us are getting out of here alive. Cherish the time with you that you have with them. Be thankful get all you can from them because they know they've been, they've seen different walks of life that mm-hmm. maybe we don't even know about. Um, Are there yeah. questions you think about now that you wish you could ask your dad? Oh man. Um, every single day, um, you know, now going hand in hand with going down there and helping run the business, you know, we got a great team down there. We got um, Jack that's still been there. John mm-hmm. Moss Lander. He's been there 36 years. He just uh, celebrated his uh, 36 her entire anniversary mm-hmm. down there. Uh, Michael Ray, our general manager. Man, there's so many questions that, and us running that together, that I could go back and ask them and, you know, and just not even just business aspect, but just the regular walk in life. How did you overcome this struggle? Mm-hmm. You know, because back in the day, my struggle, how I overcome with it, I didn't. I just I just coped with it. I just sure. dealt with it. Yep. And, yep. and realized now that that wasn't the way to do it. But now seeing... Saying, yeah, there's a lot of questions, Jared. There's a lot, and it's almost yeah. unfathomable to how many I have. And you didn't even know you had them probably until it's like he's gone. No, no, hundred yeah. percent. And I, I, but now that now that he's gone, there's there's just a, yeah, there is a lot of questions. I wish that I would have asked him, but I, at the same time, I can't hold that. To, that that's just not who I am anymore. So that gives me comfort in knowing that the questions that I had for him, they'll be answered one day. And I'm a hard learner. I have to learn everything the hard way. So yeah, that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Because anything that I've learned in my life is not going to be the easy way. And I'm sure my dad being the hard, mm. stern-headed person he was too, that's how he learned yeah, too. Sure. So we get to grow together. And there, there's there's power in that too. And, you know, it's better together. As, you know, I go down to Salvation Ministries in Jonesboro, we're better together and knowing that we can work through these problems together and figure them out. Because when you get out of your uncomfortable zone, that's when that's when that's when the growth happens. So for sure. So catching back up, you know, it's three weeks after your dad uh, was diagnosed with cancer. You can tell he's dying. You fall back into addiction. You were saying like it's pretty close after this, I guess. Like everything kind of came to a head, right? And to where you were like, like, like this is the time where I'm truly like surrendering. I'm going to get the help. So, so how did you get to that place? Man, I had to get to a dark place. I had to get to a darker place than I was already at. It was seven months almost to the day 
that after he had passed, and I finally realized, you know, I was looking around at my environment, uh, the people, and realized this isn't me. This hasn't been me for the last 10 to 12 years, yet I keep putting myself in these situations. I called my mom at 4 o'clock in the morning, mm. and you, you can ask her. That was the greatest phone call she ever did because I haven't ever looked back since. Wow. Uh, 4 o'clock in the morning, I said, Mom, I need help, and I can't do it on my own. And ever since then, I went to a detox center, and Steve Garmouth, uh, got a hold of me during that detox center, and mm. he was coming to pick me up for uh, John three sixteen, and he said, "I want you, Ivy. I want you to listen to me. We're the kind of the people that don't need a pat on the back. We need a kick in the rear end to get going. Me and you were hard headed. That's just how we are. So you're going to sit down and you're going to shut up, and you're going to listen to me all the way here because you know nothing. You know nothing. What your life before shows this. Lord, let Jesus show you what it's going to be." So just keep that in mind as that story in, in, like entails that. He just became coach right there, didn't he? A hundred percent, yeah. And we were talking on the way down there to there. He said, you know, I might not ever get a, my coaching job back. And I thought, but you could be a coach for Jesus. And I've noticed that throughout his walk. You see how many people he touched. Oh, my gosh, man. This funeral was just, the I've shoes. never seen that many people in my life. Yeah, the shoes that they said, pick up pick up the shoes and be able to, you know, carry on that legacy. And quite frankly, we know this. Ain't no one, there's nobody that's going to be able to carry on the legacy that Steve Garmouth did. But what we can do is we can put on our own shoes and realize that we have a purpose too. We can mm -hmm. keep continuing that through that. So I think that's pretty powerful. So it is powerful, man. Um, so you went to John 316 yes. and graduated from there. Man, I, you know, I, I know now you're, like we said, at Heron Tower. You just got uh, married. Is that right? I did. Yeah. Congratulations, did. man. Thank you. That's fantastic. So married man now. I'm curious, like, what's kind of next for you? What do you feel uh, is is up for Ivy Heron at this stage in your life, man? What do you want to see? Man, I just want the Lord's will to be done. I don't want anything that I want because I know what I want is nothing good. Um, and I, I mean that with all good heart intended. Um I know the Lord's got big plans, whether it be the tire shop, but it goes so much farther than a tire shop. It goes into a ministry. It goes into, you know, now I'm able to work with some of the men at Craighead County Jail to be able to minister to them because I remember being those guys in the, that black and white uniform. I remember that. And they just need a chance just like I did. They need that one opportunity, even though everybody's saying they'll never make it, they'll never do this. Give them that chance. Let's mm. see how it folds out. I was that guy mm. that said he'll never do it. And I, I'm thankful, you know, it talks about in the Bible how God will restore what the locust has mm -hmm. eaten. Mm -hmm. And he's done that in my life, and he's done it in tenfold, and I'm so thankful that awesome. he's been able to do that. So That's great, man. Any advice before we move into rapid-fire questions that you would have for anybody that's listening to this who maybe is either in addiction or knows someone that's in addiction? Um, Any encouragement? Yeah, absolutely. Um, don't worry about the labels. Um you know, don't like Steve Garmouth has said, don't don't live in anybody else's shadows. Create your own. Um, continue to move forward each and every single day. Sometimes it's one day at a time. Sometimes it's one minute at a time. You just continue to keep moving forward and realizing that all all the stuff you're doing, whether it be people pleasing, what it realize that God's got a purpose for you in your life exactly right where you're at. He doesn't matter where what you're doing, where you've been, what's matter is is where you're going. And knowing that God's got a purpose for you in that, that's powerful. So, 
It's huge, man. There's a uh, book out there uh, written by uh, Victor Frankl. It's called Man's Search for Meaning, and he he was a psychologist that survived a concentration camp. Um, And he talked about, like, as everybody was dying around him, most people that were dying is they would just kind of give up hope. And he said they would begin to, they they couldn't find meaning anymore in their life. And he's like, when you lose your meaning, it's all over. And so just what you just said, I mean, he just, his book, it's it's sold millions and millions of copies, but it's powerful. It's an easy read. But if somebody uh, is interested, it's it's Man's Search for Meaning by Victor Frankl. But he says, like, how how does he say it? If a man... As long as a man has uh, a why, he can basically bear any what. Like, no matter what comes, if you have a why for why you're still here, if you have a purpose, like, you're going to be able to to continue to move forward. Just take a chance. Take a minute just to feel your heart. If that heart's still beating, you have a purpose. Mm -hmm. And remember, throughout this journey of whether it be recovery, um, you know, past failures, whatever it may be, remember that your thoughts become words. Your words become actions. Your actions become character, and character becomes your destiny. Mm. So plan that every single day. Action will result in your future, not talk. I've talked enough in my life that I want my fruits to show, not just That's good, man. And I love the message you said. If it's the little things, you know, a lot of times we think it has to be some sort of really big thing that, that either makes or breaks us. And a lot of times it's the little stuff, you know, it's the little bitty steps and, you know, one of the encouragements we try to give people in our church a lot is, and is you know, sometimes you can be overwhelmed by how much has to change. And you're like, it feels like you're having to, like, figure out a way to boil the ocean. And it's like, just do the next right thing. That's it. That's it. Whatever that next step is, just take the next right step. Don't worry about any of the steps after that. Just the next and be, right and, step. And be careful with your amends, too, you know, in recovery, your your sorries and things like that. Just do better. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a kind of like a motto we got at the shop, too. Anytime we mess up, guys, if we know we mess up on whether it be this or that, um, we know we're doing something right. We're improving. So just do better. Mm-hmm. Be careful with your amends, your sorries. Just do better. So. Yeah. Hey, Ivan, I, I would love to hear what victory looks like now that that seems to be in the past. Like, uh, what does living in recovery now look like? Well, it's not just necessarily living in recovery because, you know, at some point in your life, you get tired of counting the days. You just mm-hmm. want to keep continuing to move forward. And sometimes counting the days can be a drag. And you're just counting, you know, the days you've been sober. There's so much more than sobriety when it comes to victory. You know, living in victory now for me in this redemption story that God has blessed me with, I'm thankful to be a part of a team that's been together for 55 years and and being able to carry on my dad's legacy Hmm. with, without the customers, without, without the team that we have now, none of it would be possible and none of it would be possible without God. So there's a bigger side of this story than what you see in just past addiction and, and, and drug abuse and stuff. There's victory and there's redemption and there's a comeback for everybody that wants it. So now I'm able and I'm blessed to be a part of something like my dad's legacy. I'm, I, I'm blessed to be able to be a part of a jail ministry to help young men get their lives together and just get started, even if it's in that jail cell, whether it be here or there or whatever. It, 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 there's, there's victory. But the thing about victory is, though, You have to choose it. Mm. Choosing victory every single day when you don't want to, when you don't want to get up out of bed because of depression, because of past. Because if you live in your past, what you'll see back there is depression. What you see 
If you worry about the future, you'll get anxiety. Live for the day. And living for the day and choosing to live in victory is going to be one of the most key assets to your life and knowing that God can redeem you of your past, of your present, and he can make a whole new future for you just like he did for me. So I'm so thankful to be a part of a team that's that we're growing, we're doing all these things, but none of it would be possible without him. And if you say it's a coincidence, you can look at it and say, well, it's just a coincidence that he got got his life together. There's so much more than just heaven. That's Jesus. That mm-hmm. That's 100% God working 100% in my life and, and doing the things of his will. And I'm not perfect by any means, but I know that God's gave me a story to tell. And this is one of them guys. You don't have to be just the guy that the lady or the, or or the man that's been labeled as an addict and that's been clean for so long. You can be much more than that. You can go on to work at a business to eventually run a business. You can do these things. You don't have to accept that label. So live in victory, living in victory and knowing that each and every single day, God can provide, and God's going to provide you not just a sober life, but an abundant life. Yeah, yeah. I'm even thinking back to um, the little things that we've talked about, the little steps that can take you down or the little things, the little steps that can take you up. Uh, Because you look back at your past, it seems really big. You look forward to some future that you don't look, maybe it doesn't look possible because it looks so big and grand but it's the little things in between it's the little things in life that matter the most it's family it's 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 the ones that love you through the hard times and and the ones that continue to support you as as god continues to let you thrive in certain aspects of your life whether it be business family all of these things you realize there's such a big purpose for your life and it's so empowering to know that we can choose victory today that I don't have to be that guy that was once on the news that that was a drug addict you don't have to be that anymore I'm not that anymore and I don't have to prove that to anybody and that there's power in that and 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 not just talking the talk but walking the walk people will see your change they don't have to you're not here to impress anybody you're not here to prove yourself you're not here to prove yourself to man you're not here to prove yourself god is in control and god is the one that can change your story just like he did mine ralph right on man i'd love to move into some rapid fire questions if you're ready for it yeah absolutely all right so here we go number one what is either the last show or movie you watched or a book that you read well my wife loves the walking dead i can't okay yeah my wife used to love the walking dead yeah a big fan you know i lost interest about season one episode three (laughs) (laughs) that was a ways ago it's uh you know it's repetitive but she loves it so i gotta love it too yeah yeah Right um, on, man. One of my favorite shows, Blacklist. I like Blacklist. Blacklist. Uh, yes. What is Black? I can't even remember what Blacklist is about. What's that on? It's a criminal helping to catch more criminals. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very good. Raymond Reddington. You like yeah. Breaking Bad? I did. I did. Yeah. I, it's been a long time since I've seen it. Better so, Call Saul, those. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Oh, all right. Uh, what is your favorite band? Well, it's funny that you asked that because three years ago, my answer would have been totally different. We would have had sure. some wild stuff like Gucci Mane or Project Pat okay. and all, okay. all that. Right but that on, is yeah. not 
anymore. You're not still lifting weights of that no, stuff. No, huh? absolutely not. So now I get down with some uh, some need to breathe. I really like. Yeah, I yeah. feel like that's one of the most underrated Christian bands that are out there. Yeah. And yeah. I really, really enjoy their songs. Uh, Who am I, brother? All of that. They're, yeah. they're really good. It's amazing how much music impacts our lives. And so, you yeah. know, a lot of people that I've talked to that come out of recovery. Matter of fact, we got two ladies that work here at our on our staff that come out of recovery, and they're like, "We can't not listen to." Like, you know, K Love or whatever else it is, because we're like, we had it's such a powerful music, such a powerful impact, has such a powerful impact on yeah. our lives. It's like, you gotta, yeah, when you get back into that, you know, trap music and the stuff that I used to listen to, that that your mind mentally goes there. You yeah, gotta yeah. completely erase putting that these thought. images and thoughts yeah. and narratives in your mind. Yep. What is your favorite meal? Well, right now I'm on keto, so there's not really a lot of options no, on that. You can't do that, man. Oh. Take keto out of the picture. All right, that sounds good. Let's do just a filet mignon steak. It sounds heavenly. Surely you could do that with uh, keto, right? Yeah, absolutely. With a load of baked potato, though, that sounds even better. <sighs> Come on, man. Yeah. Um, we had a phenomenal filet, didn't we? Skinny, Skinny Jays. It was really, really good, man. So really good. Not been there in a while. Really good. Uh, what's on your nightstand right now? Well, I don't know if y'all have seen my Facebook page here lately, but my my wife loves to buy these Amazon deals. And these Amazon deals are absolutely hilarious because she ordered a nightstand that looked absolutely beautiful from the picture, but it turns Uh-oh. out to be half the size of what <laughs> of it really is. So, and seeing that, so not much fits on that half stand, as I like to call it, but what we got on there is I, we have the Bible and then we have... Louis Giglio's uh, book, The Comeback. I just got done reading mm-hmm. that. It's an amazing read. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. My yeah. wife once ordered a trash can for the office and it came in. It's about the size of a coffee cup. Wow. <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> got to read the description, boys. Absolutely. Uh, give us a snapshot of an ordinary moment in your life that brings you great joy. And family, man. Family, family's everything. Um, Old, old snapshots of walking in the tire shop with dad as he locks the doors to look up, um, going out with the, with the kids and my wife and, and going out to eat with my mother. It's the little things. It's the little things like that. Yeah, man. A lot of times people say family. And this question, you might answer the same. Are you different? What is one thing that you're deeply grateful for right now? Family. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing, man. No matter who uh, comes on here, that's usually the number one answer. Family, <laughs> friendship, something around a relationship. So, Ivy, thanks so much for coming in, man. Thanks for Good to be able chat. to hang out with you. I do wish that I would have maybe put some sort of like pillows or something in my shirt for our picture <laughs> so that I would have looked at least a little bit bigger. Um, but, man, always good to be able to, to spend time with you. I am sure. I know you're an imperfect man just like me, but you're a good man, and I know your dad's proud of you. So thank you, Jared. Keep up the good work, buddy. Yes, sir. See you. And Ivy Heron has left the building. Chris, you guys have a um, a little bit of a connection there with your uh, losing your mother. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I was wondering whenever I asked him about advice, maybe mm-hmm. to give to other people as they are watching another one, mm-hmm. um, you know, enter to their final stages of life. Like you kind of got a chance to experience that a little bit with your mom. Like mm-hmm. anything you would add to that. To totally put you on the spot. Yeah, I totally did. Um, I mean, everyone handles that very differently. Me and my sister handled losing my mom drastically differently. Um, And so in preparation for that, I don't don't know. We were very optimistic. She was given an optimistic diagnosis and then just had a stroke and passed away from uh, that and leukemia. So for me, it was more about 
whether or not so I have this personality that's very middle of the road, kind of um, content in all circumstances, but can look like I am uncaring, uh, cold, something like that. And literally right before my mom got sick, there was a, a boss of mine who told me, it's like, you either are very low anxious or you just don't care about things and something's going to happen in your life that's going to make you have to mm. show you care. And it was right after that, my mom got sick mm. and then passed away. And so that was a moment where for me, I had to really dig in and say, like, do I really believe um, the Bible? Do I really believe this gospel stuff um, and, and lean into what I truly, truly believe in? So, um, I mean, that we could talk for another 40 minutes on all that stuff. So um, advice in there, I don't, I don't know other than just don't go it alone. Um, it mm-hmm. seems like that's when people get get into really really rough spots yeah. so uh, being authentic and really sharing your feelings and being with people yes yeah. it's very important it's very important man community it matters significantly and so hey ivy thanks so much for coming on to those of you who are still listening as always thanks for tuning in if you haven't done so please check us out on our different social media platforms instagram and facebook if you've not uh, done so we'd also love for you to go to itunes and give us a five-star rating that just helps people to find us more quickly and learn about the really incredible people living here in our community so as always thanks for listening until next time